How old were you when you first engaged in sexual activity with a partner? Fourteen. How? With horse. How often were you having intercourse with animals at age 14? It's true. I fucked a pony. You are a genius. How did you know? You just said you had sex with a horse. No. Horse. Not horse. Horse. This is Sick and Wrong, America's number one source for antisocial commentary. Brought to you by the Reach Around Foundation. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world's source for antisocial commentary. One of your hosts, D. Simon. I'm Lance Wackerly. What's up there, Wackerly, my disgruntled co-host? You seem less curmudgeonly today. I don't, I'm kind of sick. I've got some kind of a chest cold. It's been super freezing in the Bay Area But you, you don't seem as like... Uh, I don't know, pissed off at the world, is angry. No, I'm just beaten down. I don't just have the energy. Wearisome. Just yeah. it's from being it's it's because it's so cold here. I know. I mean and people are will be people from the Midwest or you know, Antarctica will say, It's not cold there. But what people don't understand is in the Bay Area when it gets forty degrees outside the buildings, the apartment buildings, aren't designed to heat up the air. Exactly. Just, so when it's 44 degrees outside, it's 44 degrees in your apartment. Well, I love when you hear people like, oh, well, you're from Michigan. You should be used to it. It's like, yeah, I, I am from Michigan. I lived there 10 fucking years ago. Yeah, okay? me too. I've been here 10 years. I'm acclimatized yeah. to the mild climate. I am not used to 30 degree weather. I mean, dude, it was like snowing in Berkeley. I think that's true. Yeah. So how was uh, your weekend? Did you do anything exceptional? Uh, well, I don't know if you call it ins- exceptional, but I had my work formal black tie Christmas party was this weekend, God, which dude, I'm sure was... I've talked to in previous years, so I'm not going to go into yeah, it. Yeah, your annual just hate fest. Every every year you bitch about the, uh, the corporate holiday party you have to attend. And I'm not pissed off about Christmas. I'm not one of those Christmas basher type people, even though I don't. I am. I'm not a Christian. I don't <laughs> believe in the whole myth, but it's free food, but it's just the whole fucking just dealing with it. It's on a Saturday night. My whole fucking Saturday night is blown out, and I got to go drive far away to some weird uh, esoteric restaurant it's always held at. Well, I mean, it sucks because you spend, what, 40-plus hours a week with these people, and now you got to spend your personal time on your weekend drinking with them? Yeah, I like the drinking part. I don't like the renting a tuxedo part and driving and and taking up my whole Saturday night. So all in all, like in short, did you get wasted, strip off all your clothes, put a lampshade on and insult people? I would have loved to do that, but I had to drive home. Okay, so you couldn't. There are some new sort of attractive girls in my office. I'm sure I've mentioned this to you, but probably not on the podcast, but... uh, my boss, <laughs> for some reason, he keeps hiring these like twenty-three-year-old women right out of college, which and is so, a good thing. Yeah, and a lot of them were single and wearing uh, like you know sexy cocktail dresses, which sort be of, warned, Wackerly, do not dip your pen in the company. Oh, ink. oh, I never would. I never would. I'm a firm believer in that. I was just ogling. I will ogle. Yeah. Well, you know, I will I don't ogle know. the bottle of company, <laughs> but I will not dip my pen. I've got it way too easy and cushy at my job to do that. So, uh, what did I, you do? I'm sure you noticed here. I'm drinking again. 
That, that, oh. <laughs> yeah, the, the sobriety didn't last all that long. Yeah, actually, now that you mention it, it wasn't even... It wasn't even mentionable, but yeah, now that now that you mention it, I, weren't you sober last week? Yeah, never you, gonna you, drink again. You kind of over. No, it wasn't never gonna drink again. It was I'm taking a brief reprieve from drinking, and it Apparently was barely was super brief. Well, <laughs> less than a week. Yeah, like the next day I started drinking again. But no, you know, you know what? It was because of the the near death experience that I suffered, and right. and it, Which it changed. Is overblown. It wasn't really near death. It might have been exaggerated a bit, but you I didn't mean, have it, your stomach pumped. It it was weird to me that I I ended up going five days without drinking, and it, for me I was like, wow, dude, this is the first time I've went five days without having a single drop of alcohol, probably in about fifteen years. That's pretty incredible. It, it was amazing, and so I've told people at work, I was like, yeah, dude, five days without any alcohol. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, isn't that isn't that impressive? And it's like. No, I think you might have a problem. Yeah, you work <laughs> you work with a lot of non-drinkers. Well, dude, I mean, it's like it, it's surprise. I was just like, what do you mean? Like, you, you don't have at least a beer or a glass of wine a week? What are you a fucking Puritan? Yeah, they kind of are. So, what drove me to drinking is I ended up going to San Diego for the weekend. Yeah, to uh, visit That's my not friend. Enough. Oh, okay. Keep well, going. no, I was visiting a good friend of mine uh, from high school. And uh, he he was in a rehab there. He just got out of rehab, so I went down to go hang out Not with him. Not for drinking, for 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 uh, hard stuff. drugs. Yeah. So um, I went down there to go hang out with him, keep him company. And dude, I don't know how many people you've hung out with who just recently was released from rehab. Uh, zero. Fucking boring. It's just like I, you know, I don't know what I was expecting, but it's like I go down there thinking, you know, it'll be fun. My friend, it's like you know, his doctors and his therapists are saying it's a good good thing for him to have a good friend in town to hang out with him and you know allay his concerns and his you know his or whatever is a his addiction and everything. And right. so I, I go so down you there. You were gonna go down there and hang out with your friend who's just out of rehab and get fucked up at the bars. And I thought he would just kind of chill there and not drink and maybe drink a <laughs> diet coke or something. <laughs> And so, you know, I'm down there and it's like, yeah, the dude does nothing. I, I guess when you're sober like that, what what is there really to do? And I was thinking, yeah, dude, um, you know, maybe you should rent some movies. I'm going to the bar. <laughs> so I just took off and, uh, you know, it, it, it lasts. My sobriety lasted until Friday. Yeah, you're a horrible and, um, friend. Uh, you know, I, I'm there for support, though. I was hanging out Not with Not really. Him. You left to go to the bar because he was dude, too boring. I but during the day I hung out with him in his hotel room and I hid my beer like under my my jacket wow. so I don't think he knew I was drinking a beer. You made an effort. Yeah, but I, it, I don't think anybody can fault you for that. But you know, it's like you know we had all these plans to go to like Tijuana and uh, I don't know whatnot, go see San Diego. Dude didn't even leave his hotel room. He I think it was like his his whole mentality was. There's nothing to do in life if I have to do it sober. Uh-huh. So I'm just going to sit here and watch TV. So I think that's what led me to go out to the bar because I was kind of bored. Yeah. It also led me to go over to the uh, local Borders and uh, pick up a couple books for the weekend. And uh, one of the books in particular is um, a book called Bonk, which is um, The Curious Coupling of Science and Sex. Have you heard about it, Wackerly? Sounds a little bit familiar, but I, I can't place it. The author. Why, why do I know that? Why, why do I know this title? You might have known, You might have heard about it because the author's named Mary Roach. She also wrote the book Stiff. She's familiar. Yeah, she's a San Francisco-based author, and uh, she wrote the book Stiff, which is about the curious lives of human cadavers. Yeah, yeah. She came out a few years ago. It was yeah, I all did about read that. Donating your body to medical science. What happens to your corpse? Not good things, apparently. No, and if you read the book, you'll you'll find out what happens to it. And she also wrote a book called Spook, which is about science tackling the afterlife, 
where she hangs out with a bunch of paranormal investigators. Now, her most recent book is Bonk, which is the curious coupling of science and sex. And, you know, I read it in a weekend. Book is fascinating. It's all about, like, I mean, everything. It covers Bonking. the gamut. Well, it's about bonking, but, I mean, it, it seriously covers the gamut of, like, clitoral pumping to, like, artificial insemination of sows in Denmark. I mean, she seriously, this woman is very thorough in her research. So, anyway, uh, when I got back up here, I was thinking, well, she's San Francisco-based. Why not give her a call and see if uh, she'll chat with us about her new book on the show? Well, the reason why you would not call her is because there's no expectation of her returning your email or call or whatever. That's kind of what I thought. So I took a gamble, emailed her, and believe it or not, lo and behold, Mary Roach emails me back and she's like, your show sounds cool. Yeah, I'll I'll talk to you guys. So she's game. So she's game. So, um, you know, we're going to give her a call today. Episode 154 here is Sick and Wrong. Do an interview with Mary Roach, the author of Stiff and Bonk. Okay, don't embarrass me while we talk to this lady. You know, she's she's like, I mean, Stiff was like a New York Times bestseller. I know. That's so what she's I'm like saying. a high don't profile. Em- don't best. embarrass me, dude. Dude, I'm not going to. You know, I think you're gonna. I, I'm not going to be crass. I'm Keep not going it to ask. Down. It's. I'm. I'm seriously. I'm going to temper my comments. And uh, seriously, I want to hear from this woman. This is an author I respect. All right. And cool. I highly recommend all of her books to our listeners. So, uh, Wackerly, let's give uh, Mary Roach here a call. So I'd call her around 7.30 and, uh, yeah, see what she has to say. Hi, Mary. Yes. This is uh, D. Simon and Lance Wackerly calling from Sick and Wrong. How you doing? Hey, hey, I'm fine. How are you? Oh, pretty good. Hey, hey Mary. Hey. hey, I wanted to say thanks for uh, coming on the show. I know you're uh, kind of busy right now. Are, are you in the middle of a book tour? Uh, no, not till April. Oh, okay. So uh, I know Bonk just recently came out. Yeah, uh, actually it came out in April, so... Okay, so it came out last April, and then, so how, do, how does the book tour thing work? Like, does the book come out, and then immediately you go into tour mode, or? Yeah, the book comes out, and then you do, you know, three weeks on the road, going, you know, different city every day, pretty much. So do you hit, like, a different Borders or Barnes & Noble? Well, it's mostly um, independent bookstores they, they do throw in a few bar, barnes and noble and borders but mostly uh independents because they tend to have yeah, more of a reading program okay so so when you do it you have uh, readings and you have signings uh same thing really yeah it's a, a reading with a signing and then you know radio and interviews and um sometimes they, just, they do events rather than bookstore stuff but it's a kind of a hodgepodge so you get so it's a it's a good opportunity though to engage with the fans, I imagine. It, it yeah, it's uh, I I actually enjoy it except for the fact that I have to get up at yeah. five in the morning frequently and um, to be on like the morning radio programs. Yeah, well, because you get you got to get a flight. Usually, you're flying in the morning to the new city, and sometimes they've booked some sort of you know early morning Fox affiliate two-minute TV thing, which they're flying you there to get there, and uh, it's kind of brutal, and you show up, and you look like hell, and you're... Yeah, that's, yeah that sounds hectic, and then you got to go from there to, like, the, the bookstore. Then you go there to the bookstore, and then you, like, you check into your hotel after the reading, and then you get up in the morning and go... So it's a little brutal. So, so the fans have to love it, though. I mean, do you, do you engage a lot with your fans? I mean, do you have a lot of interaction? 
Uh, yeah, no, I, I, that's the part I like. I usually hang out uh, in, at the bookstore until everybody's, you know, I, I, I stand and I, I chat with everybody, which tends to be kind of brutal for the people at the back of the line because it's a long wait. But I don't know. I figure if somebody's standing in line to chat. Then yeah, they, they, they want to meet you. I'm kind of a motor mouth. I just... So, so what's what's like the typical fan? I mean, you're, you you've dealt with some morbid topics in some of your books. Like, do you have a typical fan or fans or? are the greatest? They're just the coolest, smartest, quirkiest people. I I don't really, I can't. I don't even have a good weirdo fan story. Well, I have one. <laughs> Let's hear it. But the first reading I ever did, it was here in San Francisco, and. This guy showed up, and he's he's literally seven feet tall. No, okay, he's wow. he's six seven. He's very tall. He's got this really gaunt face, and he's wearing a shirt from the movie Alien with a kind of the alien that is actually a plastic thing coming out of his chest. <laughs> nice. So he has a base relief T-shirt on. It's a T-shirt with this plastic alien thing coming out. <laughs> then he's got a ring, and he bends over. It's this silver ring with a coffin on it. This was when Stiff came out, and he goes open it <laughs> I'm like I'm trying to open it and I can't figure out he wanted you to open the ring he goes open it and I'm like I'm sorry you're going to have to help me I don't know where the little <laughs> is to open it so he opens it which kind of blew the whole moment for him I think so he opens it up and there's a little tiny silver skeleton inside anyway so I'm like oh cool okay and then he's asking me do you have any idea where to get a pickled punky <laughs> what a pickled punky is. You'd think that I would, but... Well, what is a pickled punky? Yeah, a fetus in a jar, like from those old freak shows, sideshows. Oh, yeah. okay. So he was like a collector or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, no, because he doesn't know where to get one. He wants to become well, a collector. he wants to be a collector. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's, it's uh, he wants to start being a collector, and he, he's turning to me for advice. And <laughs> I really it, can't help you. I don't know. Of course, there's all these people waiting in line. And, um, and then... I say, okay, well, I've, you know, it's very nice to meet you. And, he, and then he moves off to the side, and he stood there, and he, they had wine and cheese because it was a little opening party, and he stood there, and he ate a lot of the cheese. Well, if you think about it, it's probably the first time he's been out of his mother's basement in, like, probably a year. He's probably really excited about this. That's the impression I got, but get this. I, he showed up at another reading about a year later when the paperback came out. It was in the summer, and I was at over at this outdoor book event, and... Um, you know, it's a book festival, lots of different authors, and he shows up, and he's dressed a little differently, because he hadn't come just to see me, and he's, he's wearing just shorts and a shirt, and I said, I, I have to ask you, what do you do for a living? <laughs> he says, oh, I'm a tennis pro. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was unexpected. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, Andre Agassi here. There you go. It's kind of strange. So do you get a lot of weird gifts in the mail? You know, I mean, just like, you know, our show on this smaller scale, I mean, we, we receive all sorts of strange things from our fans. I, I could just imagine what they send you. Yeah, I got the coolest shirt. Somebody was, it's, it's handmade. This girl in uh, La Jolla of all places, California, kind of a, you know, upper class suburb of... San Diego? Uh, and she... Was, she was wearing, and she made one for me, this uh, black T-shirt with a, a white stitching in the form of the Y incision that they do during, for an autopsy. <laughs> oh, wow. That's kind of cool. pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, hey, Y incision. Pretty nice. And she goes, oh, I got one for you. <laughs> so that was, you know, that was pretty special. Someone else, an artist, made um, these knitted organ cozies. But in other words, if you were transplanting an organ... 
This is a little cozy, like a teapot cozy that you'd put to keep the You'd warm. like put your liver in or something? Uh, right. She, she felt bad for the organs. Of course, you know, you don't want to warm up an organ for transplant. You want to put it in a ice chest and keep it cold. But it was a lovely thought. And yeah, no. It seems the, more like something Jeffrey Dahmer would have than a <laughs> paramedic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For my cozies. Well, I imagine now that a bonk came out, you'll probably be getting like ancient Chinese penis pumps and things like that. Sadly, sadly, no, I haven't gotten any paraphernalia at all in the mail. I think something needs to be done about this. I get a lot yeah. of good stories, like people saying that um, they, their gynecologist when they were born was William Masters, and people with stories and things that they stand up at my readings and say, did you know that, did you hear about the phenomenon of sperm surfing the vaginal walls? Where were you a year ago when I was writing the book? <laughs> oh, no, you could have used that. Could have used that. There's always, constantly people writing to me with these great pieces of information. I wish I could promote the book before it comes out. Yeah, and then uh, well, you could... Yeah, there's always bonk part two. Yeah, I know. I, should, I have a file. I don't know what I'm going to do with all this stuff. But. <laughs> so you started out writing for magazines. Yes. It's a little bit of history here. How did you make the transition into science writing? Um, well, I wrote for science magazines. How, you mean to book? How did I make the Yeah, book? I guess to novels. Uh, it's kind of sad. Here's what happened. I wanted to write a book, but I have sort of a short attention span, and I never really thought that I could. And so here's the, I work in this office, and there's a bunch of people, and every four of us would go to lunch uh, once a year, and we'd make predictions for the new year about where people would be and things that would happen, like so-and-so will be married, so-and-so will have a book contract, this person's you know, movie rights will be sold, whatever. There's a bunch of writers. Someone made a prediction for me that by the next year I would have a book contract. So around about October, I thought, Holy shit, I've got three months. I have <laughs> three months to the end of the year here. I've got to write a book proposal. The pressure's on. It was just that sort of lighting a fire under my ass. And, and oh, I mean, so I just wrote this proposal. Well, it seems like it worked, though. I mean, you've written three books so far. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a, it's an effective way. I mean, I think with a book proposal, you never have a due date, and you never have any cash waiting at the end of it. So it's the sort of thing, for me anyway, I would put it off basically forever, if, it, if there hadn't been some little uh, motivation to do it. Uh, okay, cause, so there's no deadline when you write the proposal. Deadline. For me there was, because it would have meant the shame of people going, okay, so book contract for Mary? <laughs> nope, that one didn't come through. But isn't that shame attributed to the person who made the prediction? <laughs> well, it should, no, really. You have to live up to their expectations. It would have been like. my own internal shame, yeah, me not living <laughs> up to the predictions. Somebody had faith in me, you know, and I... Exactly. Yeah. So out of the three books that you've written, which one was the most difficult so thus far? Um, you know, they're all kind of buggers at some point. The stiff was hard because it was my first, and people who run these labs would say, um, I'm sorry, what kind of book is this? Why do you want to come here? Because I just didn't get it, and it was very hard to explain it. Well, did they think you were doing some kind of expose? I, some of them were a little wary, and a lot of people didn't return my emails, uh, so that it, it, that was that was difficult. Now people who know who I am, it makes it easier. They can say, oh, yeah, you wrote that book stiff. I like that book. Sure, you can come to my lab. Bonk was hard because, for obvious reasons, if you have a lab where people are coming in and masturbating, yeah. <laughs> you know, to have so, uh, someone in the room with a notepad taking notes is a little awkward. and could be distracting. Distracting, to say the least, yeah. So uh, that was 
a little trying. And Spook was hard, just hard to find enough um, paranormal stuff that where the researcher had any sense of humor or was. Those people are very, very earnest, and earnest. This doesn't work for me. Well, they take their work seriously, I guess. Yeah, and they're very kind of defensive about because people don't take them seriously as academics, and they um, and people laugh at them. Yeah, they kind of dismiss them. Yeah, so, so they're study. a little wary. and So I spend a lot of my time trying to persuade people that this would be a good idea. There's really nothing in it for them, in a way. You know, why should they spend their time with me and kind of trust me that I'm going to do something that makes them happy? When you know, so, Sometimes people are happy with what I do, and not everybody. So do you deal with like some like really uncooperative scientists or just like, I can't discuss this research with you? You know, it's top secret, or you just never understand it? Um, it's more just people being too busy to to write back. A lot of it is just people are just really busy, and they look at it, and they go, I don't know who this is. They want me to do something, and I don't have time. So typically you have to send two or three emails. I Cindy Meston, the woman in Texas from Bonk, the first time I, she, she told me this very funny thing. I, you know, I got to know her over the course of the book. She said, the first email you sent went to trash. <laughs> the second one ended up in the journalist file. The third one ended up in the friend file. You know, sort of like it's this progression. <laughs> so you went through like a test here. Yeah. I think I read uh, Richard Preston's new book, the I think Panic in Level 4, and I can't remember if he said it in the book or if he said it in an interview that I saw him do that he just kind of experienced that scientists in general aren't always the most gregarious or socially uh, adept people. Adept yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, you do get, um, there are people who are used to talking to people who already know what they do, uh-huh. and so they're, well, it's two, there's two kinds, there's the kind who can't really speak to someone from the outside in a way that they'll understand, and then there's other people who are so excited that someone actually is curious about what they do, like, you know, their wife is sick of it, and, <laughs> you know, people on the airplane next to them, they don't want to hear about it. but here's somebody who has lots of questions, and I mean, these are the people that, you know, you can't get them to shut up. They're just so enthusiastic. So those are the people that you want to find. Well, it surprised me and Bonk, the uh, the doctor in Taiwan, I think Dr. Hsu. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was so willing to show you, like, every, you know, he segment was, of, his, of, of, his, of his research. He was, so, he was so dedicated to that procedure, and it, it broke my heart because here in the States, the urologists don't, do that they don't think you know they say oh it doesn't last and he's like no 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 he's like it's this crusader for you know vein vein surgery for the penis and he's so uh, he, he really is like an evangelist he was so passionate about it that's what that's oh. what just kind of surprised me yeah he was a, this sort of eccentric passionate quirky guy i lo- and i just i had no idea that that was what he you know you send out an email and you have no idea what kind of reply you're going to get or who this person is going to be. So every now and then you luck into people like him where you're like, thank you, God. Well, this kind of leads into my next question. What? This kind of leads into my next question. So that whole section of that book, I mean, it just made me cringe. Just like the fact that you you were able to stand there and watch this guy sh- you know, basically strip the skin off a penis and devein it. And turn it inside out. And tur- turn it inside out, literally. It just, I, I would never be able to stand there and watch it without probably fainting. Yeah. And so it, it just led me to, led me to wonder, like, you know, can, are, are you generally shocked 
by anything or, or is it like a level of desensitization that through research that like you know how like uh, the doctors have like this professional remove yeah you know what i think you'd be surprised at how quickly you develop that the penis thing may be a little different because i'm a woman and i can't i really can't in any way appreciate sort of the visceral sensation of seeing that if you have a penis and i i I apologize for that. <laughs> My husband's the same way. He's like, I, I can't read that. I can't read that chapter. Yeah, I, I had to like kind of skip over a little <laughs> part of it. A warning um, at the beginning of the chapter. So do you ever get into some situation where you don't expect it and, and, and all, you know, it hits you that, wow, I can't really handle or I can't handle this or I can barely handle this? Um, Which I would say is a shock situation or, or, maybe, or do you have more phobias where you know going in that – I know this is going to freak me out, and I'm just going to hold my breath and clench my teeth and get through it. You know, I, um, the only thing I can ever remember not being able to get through was actually not something I saw, but there's a scene in, I think it's V, that Thomas Pynchon book, and I read it long ago in college, and there's a description of a nose job, and they need to break the cartilage and reset it. I could not read that description and that's weird <laughs> usually reading words of the words are easier than seeing and hearing images like on a surgery channel or whatever i could not get through that it just completely freaked me out but i'm for some reason nothing i've nothing i've come across in my books has has had that kind of effect I, but I, the other thing is i think a lot of people underestimate their ability to deal with that kind of thing to because it's an unknown you think, oh, my God, I could never be in an autopsy lab with somebody doing a dissection, never in a million years. But then you get there, and in half an hour, it's like, okay, this is my reality. I'm in a room with uh, 25 dead bodies. That's a big deal. Yeah, I think that's right. It's the buildup. It's the buildup that kills you. Psychologically, I think you kind of freak yourself out. Yeah, that's right. And you think it'll take me three weeks to get used to it. But, in fact, it's it's about half an hour. The weirdest thing I experienced was the head lab with these severed heads, and I walked in, and it was a pretty weird sight. Well, weren't they practicing plastic surgery, which you just mentioned, kind of freaked you out in V? Well, they weren't doing doing a nose job, thanks. Okay. (laughs) But, but, I mean, they they were, like, peeling the skin of the face back, though, right? Right? Yeah, they were doing that. They were doing that. And it was just like a, a... I mean, it had to have been surreal to see, like, 40 severed heads. It was surreal, and the fact that she had them all, that the woman who set it up... Had, this, had put lavender tablecloths down, and all the instruments were set up, and every table looked the same. It really was kind of like a wedding reception. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dee's sister is a wedding planner, so that hits close yeah. to home. <laughs> you, you know, one thing I was wondering about it, so when doctors are faced with this situation, obviously these are like, what, first, second year med students? These were, actually, these were practicing surgeons. Oh, okay. So, so they, you know, obviously they're familiar with the human body. But I mean, a lot of doctors, when they, when they first, you know, operate on a corpse or cut open a corpse, don't they use humor to kind of diffuse the tenseness of the situation? Like, did you see any joking around? They do, but, they, well, they used to do that a lot more. That was actually kind of encouraged by the professors. And then things became a little more PC and you weren't supposed to put cigarettes in the mouth and play <laughs> jump rope with the intestines anymore. So now they, they don't do that so much. What they do now instead is they give them a little seminar beforehand where if somebody comes in from a hospice to talk about death and da da da. So they kind of try to do a more therapy approach and talk them through it. Um, so it's more dignified. Yeah, it's, but it's ultimately... Not as cool. <laughs> yeah, not as <laughs> no, much fun. No, exactly. There, someone sent me this book recently. 
it's a collection of photographs. They're dissection photos, and it used to be this practice where when a, when a group of uh, medical students would dissect a cadaver, they'd take a formal portrait, and this is the 1800s and late, early 1900s, formal portrait standing around the body. And one chapter is like humorous stuff where people will be posing with the bodies or they'll have a, you know, a hat on the, the cadaver. And so they were, and this was, you know, the university set it all up. It was a sort of a, you know, a, kind of akin to a graduation day photograph. It was, it was, it's really a weird book. Well, so do doctors still, you know, a practice on full cadavers? Some, uh, it depends on the school. The, the UCSF here where I live, that, that class that I went to was the last one. They were no longer going to do a full year dissection course first year. What they do instead is um, say you're going to be an orthopedic specialist, then you would do some very specific dissections of knees or elbows or whatever, rather than the whole body, because they feel like it takes up too much time and they have so many things to go over. But it's very controversial. Some schools really believe it's this rite of passage, it's your first patient in a way, it's your first experience with death and that everybody should go through it. So it's really uh, uh, two different schools of thought. Yeah, it seems like it's not just getting to know the body. It's To be a, a doctor, you need to sort of get desensitize yourself, to use that yeah. word again, to, yeah, people do die, and sometimes people I'm taking care of are going to die. And Right. Yeah, there's this really good book by Christine Montrose about her first, she's a poet, but she went to medical school, and she talks about, the balance between, you know, when you do your first dissection, your natural response is to just desensitize and pull away and become kind of cold and, and, and immune to the whole thing. And on the other hand, you need to maintain your humanity so that when you become a doctor and somebody comes you're up... You're dealing with a live human. ...because they just found out they're going to die, you're not just a completely hard-nosed asshole. Yeah, you can really <laughs> shut it down. Well, you mentioned that a lot of these doctors would grow attached to their cadaver. Like, name it? Yeah, there was a guy, there was one kid there who said, I went and got the file, and I found out more, I wanted to know her name, I wanted to know about her, and, and then he said, and, and then one day we came in, and they had removed the legs, because they tried to lower the formaldehyde exposure, so they took away the legs, and he said, and I felt really bad that they had violated her, <laughs> not really attached. It was good. Do do they have like certain rules or regulations that prohibit the use of corpses for certain types of research? Like, do corpses have any kind of rights? You know, corpses are really bad at organizing themselves and defending. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, what, what I'm saying is like when you donate your body to medical yeah, yeah, science. Yeah. Um, yes, it, there's there when somebody um, requests a cadaver for research, they have to, they fill out this basically this long explanation which of what they're doing, why they need the bodies, why they can't do it another way, that nobody else has done the study already. They have to basically justify why they're doing what they're doing. And that goes to the human subject review board type, you know, sort of an ethic review. So there definitely are, um, there definitely are cases where someone will say, you know, I don't, this is uncomfortable, this makes us uncomfortable. There's an example, someone was doing a, um, they were doing a test of a bulletproof vest for the military. They didn't want to just give it to the soldiers and say, hey, the company just says... blow apart this corpse. What? <laughs> just blow apart this corpse with some high-caliber ca firearms here. Yeah, they, yeah well, they, were, they didn't want to just give it to the soldiers. They wanted to test it first, but the ethics people said, well, you can't have any penetration of the body. <laughs> They're like, well, 
We don't know if there's going to be penetration. That's why we're testing it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but wait a minute. I mean, don't most corpses that get donated to science have some type of penetration where they're cutting into it? I don't, I don't understand that. Yeah, it doesn't. It, it was completely irrational. It was kind of a because it's a bullet. Um, they it's just different. couldn't. The, 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 just the stigma of firing a bullet into a dead person. I think in terms of the publicity or bad PR that might uh-huh. happen if they found out, just it, they just were uncomfortable with it. So, you know, there's a case where it's totally irrational. There's a justifiable reason. You know, you don't want to give it to the soldiers and say, hey, see how this works for you. Yeah, here, here's another firearm. Let's see what, this, what happens to this corpse. Yeah, do you, do you have, does anybody ever donate their body to science and then it completely goes unused? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I've been rejected from eHarmony. You've seen those ads. Like, I've been rejected from the <laughs> yeah. donation to science program. It's, it's true. It's really sad. The guy who was at, okay, uh, one chapter I went to the, the mortuary college. And the kids were practicing embalming on this guy. And I said, who donates themselves to the mortuary college? And they said, oh, we get the rejects. We get- <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, how, how does one reject a corpse? Like, what, what, well, the, if, they're, if the organs are diseased, for example, or if some organs are missing, you can't use them for an anatomy lab. You know, you got to have all your parts. So it's not based on aesthetics here. Actually, yes, it is. If they're too fat, uh, the the attendants can't lift them. You know, and there's a, they have a I don't, I don't know if it's a union or but there's the, the people who work with the bodies. There's a cutoff. You can't you can't ask them to lift a 400 pound body because they'll throw out their back and then you have to pay them disability. So if you're too large, actually, there you can be too fat to be a medical cadet. Wow, rejected okay. in death. Isn't it yeah. awful? <laughs> the uh, the the requirements are a little looser than eHarmony though. I think. Yeah, I can imagine. So 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 Mary, uh, real quick, a couple questions about Bonk that I had. I, I just actually read it over the weekend, and yeah. I really enjoyed the book. It's great, and we're gonna, we're going to recommend it to all of our listeners to hey. go pick it up. But um, it, uh, you you brought up some really interesting topics. One of them in particular is um, you you mentioned in the beginning of the book is the stigma that's attached to sex research. And so I wonder, do you, do you still think that stigma exists in this day and age? Um, as much? Not as much. Not as much. Oh my God! It used to be. Uh, you couldn't even. You couldn't even do any present research on venereal disease, and you would get booed out of the hallway, or you'd be considered a pervert. I think that today it's it's fairly. It's people know that it that it's out there and they understand that it's it's just part of research. But I think that there really is, even today, if you say to somebody, I'm a sex researcher, you're going to get the kind of reaction. They're like, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah I go to strip clubs too. The researchers were saying, uh, people, people, either they say, ooh, she must be really good, <laughs> or they think that you have some sort of <clears throat> perverse interest. So, but, uh, but is there any validity in the, in this claim that there you know in the stigma that was developed like like people say that Kinsey was a pervert well, and specifically re- <laughs> with respect to Kinsey I've seen some documentaries about him and you know he like he was using his research assistants okay. in these experiments which seems like you'd want some type of arm's length you know invisible oh, wall yeah you would but who were you going to get back in the 40s that's the thing masters and johnson uh, were working, uh, you know, a, a, a decade later, and even them, even they were using. It was word of mouth. It was colleagues at the university. It was, it was. Uh, 
that was really common back so then. So to advertise for a, a candidate to, to be an experiment was probably you could be accused of prostitution or something, I yeah, guess. Yeah, you, you just didn't put up a flyer saying, looking for men and women to come have intercourse in my laboratory. It just didn't, it, it wasn't any other way to do it. They started out watching animals thinking, we'll learn this way. And, you know, animals have sex, most of them, for about 10 seconds. So do you think Kinsey was completely above board? I think that Kinsey, you know, I read two biographies of Kinsey. One of them uh, made the case that he was a little bit strange, and the other one, <laughs> I mean, he, you know, he, was, he got very curious about masochism and homosexuality. Well, did, um, did you say at one point in Bonk that he used to actually stick, like, tubes inside his urethra? He, yeah, he was that more common than you would imagine. I have a this footnote in the book of all the things people have stuck up their urethra. It's really amazing. Yeah, yeah I, See, we've I, I talked was about this with your brother. Yeah, you Sounding, know, they call my it. My brother works at a leather bar in the Castro. Oh yeah. And he said that's a common it's a common sexual practice called sounding. And that's sticking something up your urethra? Up your urethra, yeah. And sometimes they electrify it. Yeah. yeah. Actually, you should talk to Dee's brother for your ne- for the next version of Bonk. He's got a lot of stuff to say. Yeah, I think I don't think Kinsey was all that unique in that area. There was one guy who he went into the emergency room. He had three pairs of forceps up there, and his story was, "Well, I put the first one in, and then I needed the second pair to pull that pair out, and that one got stuck, etc." But the, actually, they were all facing the other way. <laughs> Handle first. Yeah. You also had an interesting footnote too about the the, the the variety of cock rings that people have used. Oh my God! The guy with the, the it was a sledgehammer head, and he removed the handle, and he stuck it through the hole, and that's a hard thing to get off. Plus, I'm, it's going to stretch it if you you're not supporting the weight, right? Oh yeah, no. I, I he had to have had it on a table or something. I know the woman who took that thing off. <laughs> that, was, that was like a two-hour procedure. And she said, the guy didn't even thank me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and firemen actually trained to, uh, to remove these devices, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. In, in San Francisco, there's, a, uh, there's um, enough call for there's, – there's, so, there's so many calls on the teletype. They have their own little shorthand for cock ring emergencies, <laughs> and they have a little special tool that they invented for cutting through things. It's cock yeah. ring emergencies. A couple more questions. That one, one thing I noticed that I found kind of interesting is, so you had a section where you're talking about whether women are aroused by porn. Yes. Yeah. And so conventional wisdom states that men are visual beasts, like men are the, are the typical consumers of porn. And so I was wondering, I mean, do women enjoy receive you know pleasure from porn as much as men do this was really interesting they found this is the thing that that runs counter to gender stereotypes they found that for men the the only porn that caused a genital response was porn that was specific to their preferences in other words if you were straight it was hetero porn or just naked women and if you were gay it had to be gay porn but women had an increased vaginal blood flow to any pornography, anything at all. Like, and they even tried bonobos having sex, and it would be, they would get a reaction. But here's the other thing. If you, you interviewed the women, they'd say, no, nah, it really didn't do anything for me. They would emotionally only respond to porn that they liked aesthetically. Like, there's special women-centered pornography, like women-centric porn, where yeah, the, you know, the guy is going down on the woman, and it's very sort of soft focus, and it's, it's you know, it's... It, aesthetically very different than male porn and the women will say oh that's that's more arousing for me but if you measure their vaginal blood flow it's not any higher 
That is weird. I assume they corrected for, you know, just women who are embarrassed and were lying somehow. And the men, some men are probably embarrassed and would lie about that sort of thing, too. So they would probably correct for that, maybe? No, I think that that could enter into it, that the women were just, they just didn't, couldn't imagine that something that they found visually distasteful or politically distasteful could be arousing. So it was kind Mm -hmm. of like they were ignoring what they were feeling. So the physiological response basically was betraying their mental response. Yeah, exactly. Wow, that's interesting. So, so, or, or it's just completely dissociated. Like the mental, the, the mental response is not really linked to the physiological. Well, it's also response. that um, with women, it's it's just a lot more subtle. If you're a guy and you're aroused, it's pretty hard to overlook an erection. But women, yeah, yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> like, but women don't have that. It's a little more like if you're paying attention, you'll go, "Oh, I feel a little tingly." But if you're kind of not, and you're aesthetically put off by what's going on on screen i think you can it's much easier to convince yourself that you're not turned on so so what about female ejaculate is is that a myth like can women do this uh it's not a myth no there's lots of there are a lot of women who regularly do this the debate is is whether or not it's urine yeah exactly and there are studies that have said it's absolutely not urine and there's some that say that it is and um, and others say sometimes it's urine and sometimes it's a mix, and some of them say it's never. I mean, you can it, you can't believe the number of papers on female ejaculation that are out there. I just sort of stuck to one footnote because otherwise there's been this long chapter that ends up saying, in the end, we really don't know. We really don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> one woman did her own. I like this. She did kind of her own little experiment where she uh, drank this blue dye. Very simple experiment. She drank this blue dye, which would uh, color your urine. And then she ejaculated, and she said, okay, look at the wet spot. There's no blue. There's so was there blue? Was it? No, oh, there wasn't blue. <laughs> so there you go. There's one, one person's home. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder if that proves it. But it's it. an anecdote. I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not an ejaculator. I can't tell you. So finally, one, one topic I noticed that wasn't covered in uh, Bonk, but I think a lot of our listeners can relate to this, is the, is the whole phenomenon of micro penis? Oh yeah, yeah. A lot, you know, there's a whole other book out there on gender research, and you know, I didn't really. I felt like it was kind of a side trip. To, yeah, I didn't think it really pertained to the yeah, point of the book. There, but yeah, there are um, micro penises, and there are very large clitorises. I don't know if it's a mega clitoris i don't know how you and i don't even know because i didn't look into it i don't know how you tell the difference between a tiny micro penis and a very large clitoris i guess it's maybe you decide you make the decision yeah i mean is it is it a strict uh length cutoff or is there some physiological difference in, you, the, in the way what it's constructed? is do you know the smallest adult penis on record <laughs> um I don't. I, <laughs> you're going to get into. It's obviously going to be one of the micro penises, and we, well, you know. And then you it's like, at what point do you call it a clitoris? I don't know. Well, you mentioned though that there, there's not much you can do to lengthen a penis, though, other than like penile implants. But no, because I mean, you can cut the suspensory ligaments, but then um, there's a side effect to that where when it's erect, it kind of goes off to the side. I mean, there's a reason you have those suspensory ligaments is that they they are like supportive so if you cut them then you have some side you're going to change yeah the, the actual physicality of yeah your and organ. then there, there's people you can inject fat into it but i think that's more for the girth and the length and uh, there's, there's it's it's not easy to um, 
It's not easy to do. Well, I found the book to be very comprehensive and informative and, and accessible to someone who's basically a layman when it comes to, you know, scientific terms. So it's kind of cool. You're kind of like the conduit for me to understand. Well, yeah, it, you know why? Because I'm, I'm basically at the same level you are. I don't have a science background, so I have to figure it out as I go along. And I'm only uh, I'm only interested in taking it to a certain level. And then it gets boring for me, too. So. Oh, well, you, you explain it very thoroughly, so I, I appreciate that. So, so what's up next? Do you have another book tour coming up? I'm, I've got a book tour in April. The paperback for Bonk comes out in April. In April. And then uh, do, do you go straight into working on your next book after that? Yeah, I'm working on another book now. Yep. Oh, wow. Well, can you tell us what it's about, or is it top secret? Uh, no, I can tell you a little bit about it. It's, it's kind of all the weird, roachable elements of space research and space travel, like weird things that happen to people who live in space for too long. And, and, cause, and also they do all these weird sort of simulated space trips here on Earth, which is a kind of a strange scene. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's actually very interesting. I'll pick that up. Yeah, I'll definitely I'm always interested in like, the social aspect of like, what the hell are they doing up there in that little capsule all sort so of long. packed in together? Yeah, exactly. And then what would, and if they went all the way to Mars for two and a half years, I mean, you'd have to worry about people killing each other. Yeah. <laughs> or, or you know, the onboard computer killing everybody, yeah, I a la 2001. Yeah, yeah. So, Mary, your website's maryroche.net? Yep. Okay, so but we'll, we'll have everyone check it out. Thanks for coming on the show, and uh, you're fascinating to talk to, and I, I really enjoyed your books. Oh, thank you so much. You guys were great. It was really fun. Thanks, all right, Mary. it's been great talking to you. Take care. Have a great holiday. You too. Bye. So accurately, that was a fascinating guest. Yes, once again, you another know, guest down. No, you know, it's it's interesting when you speak to someone who's so impassioned, you know, about the topics and knowledgeable about the topics that she researches, and that's that's what amazes me about Mary Roach is like she she does so such a thorough job of research. When you read her books, you're just like, wow, I actually do kind of you know understand. This right, you know, this scientific well, and like experiment she said, that I normally know, would never be able to understand. She doesn't go so deep that it becomes just eggheaded and boring. Yeah. So which, she's based on the same sense. level that everybody is, but she just has a uh, longer attention span and a, bit, a, lo- a larger work ethic to sit there well, and ask these people like, questions. She's also witty, and it, you know she writes in the first-person style, so it's, it's anecdotal, but it, I mean, it's interesting. So, you know, I've read Stiff, which is The Curious Lives of Human Cadavers. I have not read Spook, which is the... She you know, talks to paranormal researchers, uh-huh. investigators about ghosts. Yeah, I'm but sure I just, it's all right. I just picked up Bonk, the, uh, the, the book about sex, so science and sex. So I, I highly recommend it to all our listeners. People go check out maryroach.net. And uh, yeah, maybe you can go meet her at a bookstore and uh, wear a weird ring with a skeleton inside of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think somebody already did that. So, Wackley, we're nearing the end of the show here. Um, I want to get to some phone calls and some listener email. Really? Is that what we do? <laughs> it's, you know, that's, what we always do. that's what we always do. We, we don't want to change it up too much. No. You know, we, we throw in an interview every now and then, and it kind of shocks throws everybody. Throws the whole game. Into yeah, it throws like the whole game. Spin. It puts the people in the sensory overlo- overload. So I kind of want to bring it back to, like, the normal routine. So actually, we received a number of phone calls to the sick and wrong drunk dial line. People call the hotline, 206-666-3846. Or send us an email, sickandwrongpodcast at uh, hotmail.com. So uh, let's get on with uh, call number one here. Here we go. Hey, guys. I just wanted to tell you that I love the show, and I'm down in Florida, and um, I think that you're great. Um, 
I listen to you when I'm exercising and when I'm driving around on long drives and um Wait, Did she say masturbating? I'm, did she say I, she I'm listens to us when she's masturbating? Exercising. Exercising, okay. But that could be exercising her clitoris. Yeah, so that could be it masturbating. could be masturbation. I, I like to hear that girls listen to our voices when they masturbate. Yeah. It's comforting. Thanks, lady. Drunk or anything, whenever I get drunk, I always uh, just pass out, so um, I am... Also something that you're into, right? Girls who just get drunk and pass, pass out. out. Yes, uh, the, the, that, that means I had a successful date. I am calling you totally sober. And I am on the forum as just a girl. I haven't sent in any pictures. I'm too shy to do that. Um, you can send in somebody else's pictures and we'll believe it. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, seriously, how many how many of those pictures do you think that people put on the forum are, are actually them? A disturbing amount. <laughs> uh, oh, I think with the men, I think they are. I think a lot of the it's women ugly post... Ugly dudes. Yeah, I think a lot of the women post fictitious pictures. Um... I'm just a lurker. I don't really do any posts because I never know what to say. But um, I always wait anxiously every week for your show, and I just really love it. Anyway, that's all I have to say for right now, and I will talk to you later. Bye. I find it funny that she says she doesn't post because she doesn't have anything to say, which implies that she she thinks that the people who are posting have something really awesome to yeah. say, which most of the posts are bullshit, well, mine included. Exact, I think all posts on every message board are bullshit and it's kind of funny to me that she's like you know uh she believes here that most of those people have some like profound statements to put on this message board i mean half of them use like the uh online acronyms (laughs) which ones would that be lol lol or whatever the other ones are or rtofl or or whatever they are and then the other half are just like beating off (laughs) or, or pure vitriol just and racist statements so yeah you know really you do have something profound to say and furthermore it's like why be a lurker on a forum? Why, why not just... What, what's the point of being a lurker? You should yeah. just, like, go on the forum and, like, you know, make some risible comments. Like, try to offend people. Yeah. I or, go on a lot of forums and lurk, but I would think that our forum is pretty non-threatening. Like, uh, yeah, post something. You know, I read something recently. Uh, some some uh, forum member posted that, you know, contrary to, you know, popular belief, you'd think that a, a forum like the Sick and Wrong Forum would be, you know, you'd get on there and you'd see just some, like, really disgusting, nasty things. Well, that's and true. And people would be really offensive and, right. uh, and, and, and mean-spirited. Mean-spirited is what you would think, but that's not the case. But no, The this, other two th- things you said are the case. Well, this <laughs> guy, But this guy said, though, that, you know, I'm surprised that this is one of the friendliest forums I've ever been on. Yeah, everybody gets along pretty well. You know, Even so, when there's feuds, they tend to get resolved after a while. You know, it's... It, it's it's like a family. I feel like a kinship with yeah. uh, with uh, the other members. So so just one of these the, days we're going to invite all the forum members down to Guyana <laughs> <laughs> and and drink our Kool Aid, our sick and wrong special blend. But no, seriously, just a girl. Get on the forum and uh, put up some naked pictures of yourself. Don't be shy. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm sure you have something to say. But we we always like to hear from you. So, so who do we have here for call number two? Oh, you want to know who? who? You'll be surprised. The infamous Fozzie Bear. Here we go. Hey, Dean Lance. This is Fozzie Bear. I haven't called in in a while. And I haven't been on the forum either. And I'm calling because, uh, to tell you why, first of all, I'm a little drunk. And I know this is the drunk dial hotline. And second of all, to tell you that all these other cocksuckers and ass lickers and fart knockers and piss drinkers and cum lovers on the forum or just pissing me off. I'm your gay. 
I'm the one and only gay, and I'm the gay that has been there since the near beginning, and I'm the one that'll be there to the bitter fucking end. And all these other little facts can come on and try to send you letters and be like, oh, I'm gay and I love Zillion Dan, and I like the sick and wrong, but they're not going to compare to the Fozzy. And uh, they can, what, bring it. That's what I'm saying. Come on, fucking bring it. I'm ready to throw down, bitches. It's funny because he kind of sounds like Kevin Smith, and he's pointed out in the for- on the farm that he kind of looks like Kevin Smith. Yeah, he has mentioned that. He does actually kind of sound like Kevin Smith. Yeah, he does a little he, bit. You know, he does have a point, and I think we discussed this briefly last week and uh, last week's show, but uh, he does have a point. He was the original gay. He was the first, like, outspoken gay member of the forum uh-huh. that came on and, uh, you know. And he has the creepiest gay apartment. Oh, he put, yeah. he put pictures of his apartment up in that show us your place thread. Oh, yeah, that weird, creepy, like, pink It's kind uh, of all, cupboards. like, pink, and maybe, it's sort of like uh, Strawberry Shortcake would live there <laughs> if she lived in Chelsea in New if, York. If she was in a, a small deviant apartment. in New York City, yeah, <laughs> that uh, that buggered the uh, purple pie eater guy or whatever. <laughs> no, but no, seriously, he is the, he was the original gay, and I think he, he like, kind of spawned, like, uh, opened the door to so many new gay members to come in here. Like Harvey Mill did for you know local government he made it acceptable to be gay to be in, gay in the sick and wrong in the, community. in the sick and wrong world but but once again you use the word community and that's what it is it's you know round world last time i checked and i think everyone should just learn to get along god damn it but you know i do respect he's not going to this is the he emailed last week and this week he called in and said he's not going to get along with these new he's gays. the only gay of the sick and wrong village the only true he's gay, the official gay is what well he's i to say. he is the official gay of the uh, sick and wrong village and i'm glad to have you back fozzy bear love the guy's comments on the forum he cracks yeah. me up so uh, thanks for calling in so finally here i think we have a retort from the soccer mom Yes. And uh, I've, this, this dates back to two shows ago. I think it was episode 151, where Wackerly, I, I, I think, didn't you uh, speculate that she was a stripper no, by the sound I, of her I, voice? I, rela- I said it, and then afterwards I kind of was uh, remiss about it a little bit because I thought she might be offended that I said she reminded me. I liked listening to her calls because she reminded me of a hot stripper from my youth. But uh, but a stripper from like the South or something that has like Southern uh, twang to her or voice or the Midwest. I mean, come on, we come from a rural area, basically. It's the same people. So so uh, soccer mom. But I meant I, it in all, in compliment. Dude. Well, I don't think soccer mom took umbrage to it. I think she's just confirming what you had to say. So here's call number three. Hey guys, it's Heather, the soccer mom. I just got finished listening to the last episode, and I had to call because you said I sounded like a stripper, and in fact. You were correct. Once upon a time, I was a stripper. Wackerly knew <laughs> it. You knew it. How, how did you know it? You could just tell by the voice? I didn't know it. I didn't know anything. I just said she reminded me of a fun stripper in a good way. I didn't think she actually was a stripper, but I guess, uh, yeah, my powers of perception are greater than even I know. You know what clued me into it is the uh, naked pictures that she sent us when she sent the moonshine. <laughs> who, who else but a stripper would send naked pics? That's a good point. I don't know. Who, Although I, we, we encourage all female fans to do so. Yeah. Don't shoot yourself in the foot. Don't shoot me in the foot. For about three years right after college when I realized that three my years. bachelor's Season. degree in psychology was worthless, but my rack was quite profitable. So just to, just to clarify, though, I was not a stripper here in bumfuck to nowhere, Tennessee. I was in Dallas, Texas. I was still in the South, but I was in like an actual city, so I wasn't dancing with a bunch of toothless meth heads. 
So, um, and actually I met my husband at the strip club and he moved me back here to Tennessee in the middle of nowhere to make an honest woman of me. Brent Sherman. A beautiful Southern romance. It's like bridges (laughs) in Madison County. The pictures that I sent you guys with the moonshine, the topless pictures might have clued you in. Well, that's what you just said. Yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of why this I This is assumed. the first time we mentioned them. We were keeping them on the DL, sort of, because I didn't know if she wanted us to, to say that she sent us naked pictures. I, I also didn't want her husband to come find us and beat well, the shit out of us, because she also sent pictures of him, and he looks like kind of a scary He's a big, guy. burly, scary, like, Tennessee mountain man. But I also didn't want all the perverts on the forum begging us to see these pictures. Here's the ground rules, people. We would love for you to post naked pictures of yourself on the forum where everybody can see them. But if you want to send us naked pictures, specifically <laughs> via email or regular mail, we will not post those on the forum or anywhere on the internet. And I will probably just keep them to myself for my own masturbatory pleasure. Well, I'll get them out of you. Okay. <laughs> I'll let you borrow them, maybe. <laughs> and when they're all covered in your man goo. <laughs> when they're glistening and all stuck together. Gross, dude. Maybe. I don't know. But, and, you know, you guys never commented really on whether or not you thought I was hot. You are hot. We just, like like I just said, we were worried about offending you like in, in letting the cat out of the bag. I still pleasure myself to your photos. I, but I don't know if that means that you're hot. I but... pleasure myself to the memory of your photos because D has them and I don't have them on my person. Yeah, they're in my secret place. Which I was expecting, right? Now, now that I know Wackerly is a, is a chubby chaser... I might be a little too thin for, for him, but anyways. Um, no, you're I do fine. drink my white Russians with soy milk, but vanilla soy milk, and it's really, really good. It's, it's too good, which is why I drank so much and called you guys belligerent like that, because I just drank way too much, and I'm not going to be drinking those again for a while. So <clears throat> tonight I'm drinking margaritas. <laughs> <laughs> she is a good woman. She's a great mom. She has a bad experience, doesn't get off alcohol, just goes to a different alcohol. Just switch to a different drink. I think that's what most people should do. In celebration of the fact that my brother's attorney tore the Russian whore new asshole today in court. So nice job. We're very happy. Also kind of hot. I'll probably beat after that too. dollars a month as her alimony, but oh, oops, she signed a prenup. So yay. Okay, I guess that's all I have to say. We'll see you guys later. Bye. So- I guess what we gleaned here from uh, this phone call is, uh, yeah, uh, the soccer mom was a, was a stripper. She met her husband at the strip club. We find her hot. And uh, if you're going to marry a Russian prostitute, you should, get, you should have a nice, firm, strong prenup. Yeah. It begs the question, though. Does she have a prenup with her, her Tennessean husband? She's not a Russian prostitute. Okay. And so that's she- where the line is drawn. Russian prostitute, and, yes. And- Dallas stripper, no. <laughs> and plus, though, uh, when you have a kid, I mean, doesn't that kind of make a prenup null and void? No, because alimony and child support are two completely different things. Do yeah, but I mean, you're still right going to have to pay for the kid. Right, but that's that's child support. Alimony yeah, I guess you're not going to have to give alimony as much. Yeah, I don't, you can't you can't impregnate a lady and have a, I don't even know what it would be called, not a prenuptial, it would be called a pre impregnation like i'm fucking you and i'm gonna impregnate you but i'm not gonna pay for this kid you can't you can't do that it's not it's null and void and the black guys do it all the time it's called no clean prenup (laughs) (laughs) well thank you soccer mom for calling in um and yes we both find you very hot and we encourage you to send us more naked pictures like all female fans of the show right 
We, we, we appreciate and it. And remember the ground rules. You don't have to worry about them being spread around the internet if you send them directly to us. Yeah, you can trust us because we're on the internet. Dude, you're so lecherous. You're just <laughs> harvesting these naked pictures. People call the Sick and Wrong Drunk Dial line at 206-666-3846 or send us an email, sickandwrongpodcast at uh, hotmail.com. We're actually we've got a couple emails I want to mention here. Uh, one came from um, our best southern straight tooth British bird, Steph. She says, hey, wait, wait, guys. Wait, 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 wait. Go back. Back up. Southern, not southern United States. No, southern, southern UK. Southern so she's UK. not a northern bird. She's a southern bird. So okay. that means she's hot. That's where they have straight teeth and they're, and and they're, they're hot. attractive. So this is from uh, Steph here. She says, hey, guys, still loving the show. You get me through many boring evenings at work. I saw this video about three years ago when it was sent to my boyfriend's phone. And it's the most disgusting thing I've seen. I've searched for it before to share it with you, but couldn't find it. But now I have. I just hope I didn't spend time looking and you've already seen it. And so she posts this uh, link to this anal cream pie prolapse video, which I actually reposted this email on the forum. So on and the, the forum link. and the link. So you can actually watch the anal cream pie prolapse video. So she writes, not only do I find this really horrid, but I don't understand how this can ever happen to you and you'd be okay with it and not think, oh shit, maybe I should go to the hospital and get this fixed. Or how a man would be turned on by this is totally beyond me. Wackerly, do you, you watch the video? Yes. So I watched the video several times because I wanted to, you know, to, to get the whole uh, gist of it. I didn't, right. I didn't just want to have a cursory watch and then right. just kind of dismiss it. Well, first it. you have to watch it sitting in your chair, and then you have to watch it again with your like nose pressed up against the pressed screen. Pressed up against the screen. So what happens is her, basically she extracts or extrudes her entire extrudes colon. Extrudes is the word you're yeah, she for. E- extrudes her colon like her large her large intestine it's like her colon comes yeah. out of her ass yeah and at one point i think it's our esophagus <laughs> <laughs> and it expels the semen and to me you know and 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 i understand like you know most people who haven't seen anything like that would be like oh my god it's disgusting i'm shocked by it it's repulsive that's but what i felt to me it kind of looked like a cinnamon bun dude with some icing on top a you- cinnamon bun or a cinnabon <laughs> <laughs> both i mean a little bit like a danish even I mean, I, and that's that's the thing. I think fat guys would see that and be like, "It's kind of hot." It's yeah. like my girl can make a a Danish, right. you know, with her asshole. Yeah, but it doesn't taste the same. <laughs> no, I imagine it probably would taste kind of foul. I just, but I don't know. But seriously, it, it is a just it, it it astounds me that someone can actually extrude their large, you know, their large intestine, their entire digestive tract. Yeah, <laughs> like expose it out and then suck it back into their ass. You know, I wonder. The sucking it back in part is crucial because if yeah. it comes out and you can't get it back in, then you're then, an ER patient. But you think that this <laughs> woman porn, porn queen. would need a, like a colostomy bag or something? I think back in the in the past we discussed the uh, porn star that was known as having the rose colon. I can't. I know we discussed. Anal me queens. You, me and you discussed discussing it on the podcast, but I don't know if we ever actually did it. I, you know, I don't know if we did. Because you have that entire it. interview that's from like a 1984 hustler that you've got yeah, like stashed was, in your pillowcase. It's it's with all those pictures of all the naked chicks that uh, from uh, the the form that they send to me. <laughs> Stapled but, in a, it's in a three ring binder. Yeah, but so anyway, they they talk about all these anal queens and how like by the time they're thirty, you know, they have to get colostomy bags. Their and asses they're, they're, are busted. Yeah, and then like their sphincter control is no longer um, happening. And so one of the one of the women that's, that's the most famous of these anal porn queens is is known as the rose colon, and she can actually like extrude her her colon, and it looks like a rose. 
Like it's in the shape of just kind of like a wrinkled pink rose. Yeah, doesn't smell like a rose. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of beautiful. You, you see something poetic about this? No. All right, it's disgusting. <laughs> but yeah, nevertheless, uh, Steph, you sent a very disgusting video. It, it was just foul to see a woman not only expel semen out of her asshole, but expel it her colon with it. Quite far. Yeah, it's quite disgusting. And I don't understand how... Like, if you met a girl that could do that, wouldn't you just be like... This marriage is over. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, probably. yeah, I would probably be married to her if I could even see that level of, uh, you know, depravity. It's disgusting. Depravity. It's like, disgusting. Thanks for finishing my sentence because I don't know where I was going with that. We got an email here from uh, Paul who says, "Hey guys, longtime listener of the show here. In the most recent episode, you guys were talking about Dan White, and that reminded me of when uh, Jello Biafra from the Dead Kennedys ran for mayor of San Francisco." Jello, he's a local Bay Area personality. Yeah, he's a, if you go to a lot of punk rock shows or I don't know hard heavy metal shows, you'll see him at these shows. Yeah, you know, I just recently saw him at uh, Annie's Social Club. When Did, I went is to, he still uh, wearing his Michael Jackson red leather jacket? You know, believe it or not, he actually looked uh, quite a bit better than when I last time I saw him. He looked like he weighed like three hundred pounds. He was bald and just kind of he was wearing like a jacket that was like three t- sizes too small for him. Uh-huh. Seems like he lost a bit of weight. I think he's like uh, working out or something. Or doing more meth. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's doing meth. Well, more anyway, meth. He ran for uh, mayor back in uh, 1979 here. One of his platforms was to erect statues of Dan White around town and allow the Parks Department to sell tomatoes and eggs to throw at the statues. Other parts of his platform included forcing businessmen to wear clown suits within city limits, which I kind of agree with, a citywide ban on cars, legalizing squatting in buildings kept vacant for tax write-off purposes, and requiring police officers to keep their jobs by running for election voted on by people of the neighborhoods they patrol. <laughs> Which, I don't know, might, uh, might sound fair. Obviously, he lost, coming in fourth place right behind a drag queen named Sister Boom Boom. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry Jello. So he also included a couple clips from some of his spoken word albums. Uh, one of them, I Blow Minds for a Living, where he's actually discussing his uh, mayoral race. You know, you know, the thing is, Joe Biafra, I respect the Dead Kennedys. I'm a, a huge fan of the Dead Kennedys. Yeah, everybody and you does. You see that guy. He's such a loud-mouthed, arrogant prick that it's hard to, like, take that guy seriously. The word pedantic comes to mind. I, I like, like... I think I, pretension I like you. No, like you, mind. I like the songs from the, of the Dead Kennedys, but if you ever hear his spoken word, it's just like... And now I'm lecturing you, and this is why I'm right, and everybody else is wrong. And these old nasal, pedantic tone of voice who run the country are trying to fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, he's also one of those people who has this like, I don't know, liberal mentality of what politics should be. I don't even think it's liberal. It's just what I think being Jello Biafra. That, exactly. That's a, it, you know, it's like, I'm right, everybody else is wrong. It, it's write punk rock songs, dude, and shut the fuck up. That's right. basically what I have Yeah, to that's say a good it. attitude to have when you're writing punk rock songs, but not a good attitude to have when you're actually trying to convince people of something. To, that, to, to that everything to I think is right and everybody, everybody else, everything everybody else thinks is wrong. But I would like to see the police in clown suits. I think it would add an business intimidation men. factor. Business or businessmen, yeah. <laughs> the police and clown suits, too, though, it might be a good idea. Right. Thank you, Paul, for sending that in. Uh, we mentioned before, uh, don't be shy about posting on the Sick and Wrong Forum. Uh, we have over 900 new members on there. There's some really nasty videos, some great topics. Um, Wackily, I noticed that the Describe Dean Lance contest, 
Right. It's hilarious. My uh, favorite thread of all yeah, time. Yeah. Which the, I created, which is a little bit, you know, yeah, self-congratulatory. But but the uh, some of the descriptions of what they think, of what people think that we look like are hilarious. I know. I'm a little and, worried about uh, at the three-year anniversary show when we're going to post our own pictures, which I, I know you've told me recently that you're reluctant to do still at this stage, even though we've committed to it. I might wear a Hitler mustache and disguise my full identity. Yeah, I'm I'm worried though that people are gonna. They think we look really wacky, but we pretty much look pretty normal. Well, you think people are just gonna be disappointed? It's gonna yeah, be a I think down. they're gonna be like, "Well, this looks just like my fucking neighbor, or like the guy who brings the mail, or like you know the guy who." I think that's what they assume, though. I, I think no, think I that. don't. I think they they think we're like. 12-foot-tall, freaky, tattooed uh, weirdos. I did notice that a couple people thought I was like 6'5", oh, which cracks me I up. I immediately squashed <laughs> they thought I, no, Not, Nowhere near. They thought I was 6'5", and they thought you were 6 feet. Yeah, 6 feet tall, which, which I'm is, also nowhere near. I know. Yeah, we're more I like wish 7 and 7 and a half. But people, get, go check out the forum, and uh, yeah, like enter in a submission. We're, we're having a contest about what uh, you think me and uh, Lance here look like. And uh, yeah, you know, I mean, who, who knows? On our three-year anniversary, which is coming up next month, we're, we're, we're planning on posting some pictures of what right. we really look like. And once we post the pictures, then that contest, which I put in quotes because there's no prize involved, will immediately morph into who can make the most ridiculous Photoshop of uh, our of, of our, pictures. Yeah, yeah. I can already envision the gay porn pictures. Yeah, that's the go-to thing, right? So Wackerly finally put up uh, pictures of the new Sick and Wrong Tees on the site. If you go and click on the store link, which is on like, the top of the uh, sickandwrongpodcast.com right. yes, page, you'll go right over to the store page, and you'll see a picture of a dude wearing the Sick and Wrong shirt. It's the new design. It's limited edition, so people... You got to order one right now. Right. And, uh, and it's support funny the show. because uh, it's actually cheaper than the shirts on uh, Cafe, Cafe Press. Press and but... they're cooler than the shirts on Cafe Press. Yeah. And but they, I, there's still quality. a link to Cafe Press if you want like a coffee mug or <laughs> some sick and wrong panties. I can't imagine buying from something from Cafe Press and putting it near my genitals. Dude, it's going to be the. Yeah, <laughs> I can't even imagine. But, you know, it's going to be the hottest gift, I think, for uh, Christmas. Yeah. And also, uh, when you buy a shirt, make sure you send us a photo of yourself wearing the shirt. We're going to start a uh, page on the uh, site. Of uh, fans wearing the uh, sick and wrong shirts. Hopefully, they'll they'll post pics of their half naked girlfriends or wives wearing the shirts. Right, and I did, actually I think I might put this on the page. I haven't yet, but ten um, percent of the cost of every shirt gets donated to the Reach Around Foundation. Okay, so you're actually helping uh, retarded well, no, people. No, no, people who buy the shirts are helping. You know, the Reach Around. So not only are you supporting sick and wrong, you're supporting the Reach Around Foundation. Yeah, twofold purpose. So uh, buy yourself a Sick and Wrong tea. Also, thank you, everybody, for subscribing and voting for Sick and Wrong on iTunes. I've noticed we've been receiving a number of comments, and uh, it's actually pretty cool. So uh, make sure you subscribe to the show and give us a good vote. Five-star comment on iTunes. And uh, one more announcement here. I'm going to be on Sirius Radio this Sunday. Did I tell you about that, Wackerly? Are you leaving me? No, no, no. <laughs> and then, and, are, are, you not- doing, are you doing the Sick show? I'm not. I'm not going off on a solo career here. I was trying to get sick and wrong on Bam Margera's station. It's called the Faction. Uh huh. And so I sent him a few demos. And I was hoping he liked. It. He said he liked the show, but they didn't have any openings. But he's like, I want to see if you want to do a host a radio show. And I was like, What do you mean? He's like, We do a thing called DIY do it yourself radio. And if you want to submit a demo, maybe we'll play it. 
So I put together like a demo where I'm talking about sick and wrong and I hosted and I played like some Slayer, Brain Bombs, Jesus Lizard, stuff like uh-huh. that. And they liked it. So uh, this uh, Sunday, 1221, at 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific, you'll get to hear an hour of D. Simon on Sirius The Faction. You are leaving me. No, dude. It, it just, <laughs> don't have separation you're gonna, anxiety you're here. You're going to bring me along at like minimum wage. Like, well, you could be on the show for five bucks an hour. You could be like, you know, a, kind of a co 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 host. <laughs> <laughs> but people go check it out. It's uh, going to be D. Simon talking about sick and wrong on uh, Serious The Faction. I'll be listening and weeping. Finally, here, sick and wrong song of the week was uh, sent in by a new Wackerly admirer here. Uh, wait, per- wait, wait, a new one or the one, first one? One of the many. One of the many. I think you have some I think you have some female stalkers here. We actually disagree about the gender of this uh this this emailer. So this person writes, Hello there, Dean Lance. Uh just like many other sick and wrong people out there, I came across your podcast about halfway, caught up a few months ago, and like my mouth craves cock in the morning, I eagerly, hungrily wait each week for the next installment. There's a big fan. Mm-hmm. I've always been drawn to the disturbed and bizarre, and I take delight in learning about the murky waters just beneath the modern human standard. However, I've never found myself turned on by the dark side of my curiosity until you guys. I listen to you all day at work. My coworkers make comments about my constant giggling, not to mention the many times I sneak out to my vehicle to masturbate to your antics. It's not that I desire to experience firsthand most of the stories you discuss, but the idea of it gets me wet unlike anything else. I'm sick, I know, but I like it. You do too. Anyway, I'm grateful for the weekly escape. Um, she sent in a song called A Lap Dance is So Much Better by Bloodhound Gang. And um, we're going to end the show here with the Sick and Wrong Song of the Week, A Lap Dance is So Much Better by the Bloodhound Gang. I can't Signed- wait to hear what it's better than. Yeah, and I- Bloodhound Gang's a band from the 70s, right? It's a show from the 70s, 321 Contact. I think it's a newer hip-hop band. You haven't listened to this yet? No, I haven't actually heard the song yet. Yeah. But it's called Lap Dance is So Much Better. It's going to be the second wrong song of the week. So the uh, email here was signed, Yours Truly. And uh, there's a postscript. It says, D, I would thoroughly enjoy teasing you to insanity. Lance, regardless, I'd fuck you in a heartbeat. Leave you exhausted and spent a certain look in your eye. You've never had anything like me. <laughs> I think, Wackerly... Well, I haven't ever fucked a dude, so... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't think this is a dude. What I makes do. you think this is a dude? I think everybody on the internet is a dude. Until so you're they... a skeptic until proven guilt or proven otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Until you send me a picture of, you know, your breasts or Virginia with sick and wrong or wackerly written across it, I, I'm just gonna assume that you're a guy. With a I cock think and this balls. is a. I think this uh, emailer here is a woman just because she said it gets me wet. How many guys describe, you know, something arousing as saying? Yeah, it really got me wet. Dude, haven't you ever heard of butt wetness? <laughs> Come on. Fozzie Bear never phenomenon. told me about it's that. It's in Bonk. It's in the book Bonk. Fozzie Bear never told wetness. me about that. Well, they don't talk about it freely. It's so there secret. you go, yours truly. I think you, you, got, you got the... Uh, the uh, um, Wackerly already called you out. You need to send him a naked picture with I'm Wackerly written you across I'm your tits. I'm just skeptical. I am withholding judgment. But thanks for your email, and we're going to end the show with your song. Uh, finally here, uh, one last thing. It's Philip K. Dick's... It was Philip K. Dick's birthday yesterday. Yesterday, the 17th. The, sev- the 17th. This is for me, D. PKD, science fiction author extraordinaire. Hey, uh, meth addict, 
Married seven or eight times, wrote some great books. And a completely insane individual. Well, he became... He, he became insane. I think he was a pretender to being insane throughout his life, and then uh, at the end, he really succumbed to it. All right, here's to Philip K. Dick. Happy birthday. Yeah, good job, guy. Ah. So, people, next week is the uh, Christmas show for Sick and Wrong. We're going to be doing it on Christmas Eve. So make sure you call in the Sick and Wrong hotline, 206-666-3846, and wish us a Sick and Wrong Yuletide greeting. You know, we'll love it. Also, I think it'll be like the fourth day of Hanukkah. We'll play Nobody cares all... about that. Yeah, no, no one cares about Hanukkah. We'll play all the Christmas-related messages on the show. So we'll be back next week with episode 154, Christmas show. Until then, take it sleazy. Good night. I was lonelier than Kunta Kinte at a Merle Haggard concert that night. I strolled on into Uncle Limpy's hump palace looking for love. It had been a while. In fact... 365 had come and went since that midnight run hauling hog to shaky town on I-10. I had picked up this hitchhiker that was sweating gowns through a pair of Daisy Duke cutoffs and one of those fruit loom tank tops. Well, that night I lost myself to ruby red lips, milky white skin, and baby blue eyes. Name was Russell. Yes, the lap dances so much better. shallow grave this pretty little thing come up to me and starts kneading my balls like hard-boiled eggs in a tube sock said her name was bambi and i said well that's a coincidence darling because i was just thinking about skinning you like a deer well she smiled had about as much teeth as a jack-o'-lantern and i went on to tell her how i would wear her face like a mask as i do my little cookie dance and then she told me to shush i guess she could sense my desperation of course, it's hard to hide a heart on when you're dressed like Minnie Pearl. Yes, the lap dance is so much better when the stripper is crying. Yes, the lap dance is so much better when the stripper is crying. Well, I find it's quite a thrill when she About how she can make all my fantasies come true. So I says, even this one I have where Jesus Christ is jackhammer and Mickey Mouse in the doo-doo hole with a lawn dart as Garth Brooks gives birth to something resembling a cheddar cheese log with almonds on Santa Claus's tummy tum. Well, ten beers, twenty minutes, and thirty dollars later, I'm parked in the beef bus in Tuna Town, if you know what I mean. Got the nailer back at her trailer. Hey, <laughs> that rhymes. I have to admit was even more of a turn on when I found out she was doing me to buy baby formula. Yes, the lap dance is so much better when the stripper is crying. 
so it passed when I popped the clutch, gave the tranny a spin, and slid on into the stinky pinky gulp and guzzle big rig snooze stop. There I was, browsing through the latest issue of Throb, when I saw Bambi staring at me from the back of a milk carton. Well, my heart just dropped. So, I decided to do what any good Christian would. You cannot imagine how difficult it is to hold a half gallon of mood juice and polish the one I go for when you're doing 75 in an 18-wheeler. I never thought missing children could be so sexy. Did I say that out loud? Yes, the lap dance is so much better. Hey!